Hear that podcast growling. Mean and angry. Hear that co-host shouting. It's Dater and Jay. All right, welcome into the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling, Paul Inner Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you on a delightful Thursday. I hope everyone handled the long wait on our weird week with the Monday night game and the late night walkout and... The, of course, I was on the athletic football show there as well. So all that stuff hanging out there, all out of our normal routines. But Jay, you know what we got on Sunday? Sunday home at one, baby. Yes. <laughs> the sweetest sound that a fall day can bring. I love second, it. Very excited. Second sweetest sound. What's the other one? Bye week Sunday. No, you're right. Mm. Sunday home at one before a bye week. Yes. This is, this is, just, <laughs> I'll be skipping into the stadium today, <laughs> this weekend. Looking forward to that. We have a lot to get to, of course. A lot has happened uh, since we last chatted on the walkout. So we've got to dive into that. Um, we're going to get to where things are at with this secondary as they try to sort of, recalibrate following the brutal loss of Chibe Uzie, who's going to be out for the year with an ACL. Uh, he'll go on IR later this week. Um, we are going to talk a little bit about the lack of explosiveness that continues to be part of the run game. Joe Mixon, Chris Evans, everybody has a lot of questions about what exactly is happening there, what can happen there, why are certain things not happening there? <laughs> Everybody's. We need to. We're gonna dive into that. We've got some insight onto all of that stuff. Uh, Jay, of course, will have stats. Um, we have our good friend Mo Egger joining us. We're gonna talk to him a little bit about the trade deadline. Do our best bets. Uh, we're gonna dive into the secondary in full. Uh, after that, Joe Person uh, from uh, covering us for Carolina. One of my best friends in uh at in at the athletic who i enjoy so much and i've had spent many a many a late night at the combine and the others meetings <laughs> uh sharing a drink or two with and uh just a great dude and excited he gets to come back to town it's a shame it only uh it's a shame it's only uh Every eight years, he gets to come to Cincinnati, but um, looking forward to having Joe back in Cincinnati, and, and great conversation Jay had with him this week about what's going on with the Panthers. Uh, then we'll get in, of course, Arby's, Growler Bets, Run Passer Boots, and predictions, all the things. And so, and thanks everybody that's watching on YouTube. Good to have you here on the YouTube channel. If you have questions or something you'd like us to try to get to, uh, just drop them in there, or if you just want to call me. Paul Downer Jr. Appreciate it. Tom Brooks, good to see you. Uh, to see you too. Uh, I know people. It's it, you never know what you're going to get. You never know what you're going to get. Uh, I was we were, we were accused of having a too low, depressed tone after the game on Monday night, and I would just like to point out that's the tone that game deserved. Right. Okay, that was the tone that that moment in the season deserved. That was the tone is the tone that game deserves, and that's still, I think, a residing tone coming out of that. Yes, uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the roller coaster nature of things, but uh, there was a lot of things that had long term concerns that came out of Monday. It wasn't just about one bad night, um, but. Well, again, plenty of time to get to all that. Jay has a story up uh, on the secondary, so uh, make sure you go check that out, uh, talking about Dax Hill 
is shouldn't it be Dax Hill time? Something that we've been talking about around here for a while. Cam Taylor Britt. What what exactly is going to happen in the secondary? Um, make sure you go check that out now. Joe Person, who's going to who we mentioned to me, show, bring you that interview later, uh, has a great story up recapping the last time Carolina came to town, which is a the thirty seven to thirty seven insane tie that also featured Vontez perfect ankle twisting and <laughs> uh, I mean just insanity at every level of that game. Uh, missed field goals. Nugent missed one at the gun of overtime that would have been a win. Uh, it was a crazy game, and he does a great job. A lot, a lot from Luke Keekley, St. Xavier grad Luke Keekley in there too. Uh, we got news, Jay. Let's let's run through some news of the week. Um, you know, injury report status. Uh, some good things: Logan Wilson, Sam Hubbard, Trey Hendrickson. Apparently, all came out of it uh, okay. Trey Flowers not with such an optimistic view with his hamstring. Um, Eli Apple feeling better. You talked to Eli yesterday. Yeah. He, he said he felt great. Um, he was still limited and it was just a walkthrough, but, um, yeah, he, he, he said he felt great. And, uh, someone, someone asked him, uh, about the reason he didn't play in the second half of that Atlanta game, if it was because of the hamstring and, uh, he, he, he didn't really affirm that. He he pretty much affirmed that, yeah, he was sat down from Cam Taylor Britt. The hamstring was bothering him, but that was not the reason he was out. So uh, it, it is better. Uh, you know, it's I guess it's his redemption game, even though that he was out with an injury against Cleveland. Um, it was a benching and he will be back in the starting lineup on Sunday against the Panthers, who he spent a brief time with. Um, it, it's not. It wasn't so much New Orleans and the Giants that was the revenge game. I think this is the one where he really felt slighted with his time in Carolina, as brief as it was. So it'd be interesting to see what kind of what kind of fire he tries to come with Sunday. When you bounce around the league and burn every bridge you can in the process, you end up with a lot of revenge games on the schedule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of the way it goes. We've been I feel like we're in a re- Eli Apple revenge game every week at this point. Uh when when the whole league wants to dunk on you. Uh <laughs> so uh good on him for not hiding behind the hamstring though. Yeah, I mean he he did. He he said it was it was tough on him to to kind of accept that benching and I think, you know, he expected it to be a competition in this year with with Cam Taylor, but with Cam Taylor, but just now getting back out there and him being him replacing Eli Apple so quickly. Yeah, that was, it's tough to take for a veteran. Um, but he, it, the fact that he talked, I think was positive. He wasn't sulking. He wasn't running from people and he kind of got cornered. He was, there was a couple people talking to him and then I went over and then more and it just got bigger and bigger. And he never, he was kind of like talking back over his shoulder like this, and then he finally just gave up and turned around and faced everybody and answered every question. And um, I, I do. I, I think that he's got a little extra to play for this week. It happens fast. There's a lot of people that cover the club now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like this is maybe more of an Arby's, but I mean, it's wild when the locker room is not real full, which they everyone was showing up later yesterday. Um and so because of just the way they had a late practice because the Monday football game doesn't matter. But, I mean, you just – you see all of us when it when it's a day where all the TVs are down there. And you've got TVs coming from, you know, outside Cincinnati some. I mean, sometimes you have national people and our 
the group actually covering them as writers is so much bigger than mm-hmm. it was. Um, and it becomes like, man, we have pretty consistently have a, that room outnumbered. Uh, and when <laughs> one person is kind of the only one around or talking, the, you know, the scrum is massive and it can happen so fast when it swarms like that. It's just, uh, it, I can only imagine from a player's aspect being like, oh my God. Um, or as T Higgins said on Saturday, I don't want all of that. when he was talking to a couple of people um all right so that's kind of a a little bit of our news the other news of the day really uh kind of was about what i ended up writing about which was sort of the relax part two um nature of of everyone freaking out and, and joe burrow talking about that a little bit and just kind of the you know, the total, the vibes of the day, which are, all right, everything's going to be fine. Yeah, everyone's freaking out, uh, but everything's going to be just okay. Um, Jay, I, I, my story that I, I, I had multiple roller coaster references. Uh, I had the beast in there. Our strong <laughs> editor Dave dropped a vortex into the uh, into the headline. headline. Uh, I mean, there there was. I had one more that I'm forgetting right now, but. Um, you mentioned on Twitter, so I'm putting you on the spot that you needed to think of what roller coaster would best define the Bengals season to this point, and I need an answer. Well, I wanted to just go ride because there's a lot of different rides. Oh that, yeah, ride. And, and, You're right. And the, it could be anything. Could, yeah, it could be anything. And so the the one that came to my mind, and it, I just it just cracks me up because you showed me this picture. It's the the mini drop zone, the kitty drop zone. Oh no, um, where you're on it with all these little kids, mm. but it's it's the 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 big drop zone. Drop zone goes up and it drops you. Pretty simple. But the kitty one is so small, it goes up and then down, and then up and then it goes back down, and it it just keeps doing that over and over again. That's that's what the up and down season feels like. But the one that I really struck me and and this is probably for older Kings Island fans. There was a ride called the Zephyr. It was um <laughs> over by where Vortex is, kind of by where the the basketball shooting is now. And it was you're in this I don't know a cart, whatever, spun you around on chains and you had a sail, a hard sail, and you would swing it. And if you did it right, you would just go flying and it looks so fun. And you would watch people on the ride doing it. And you're like, I'm going to do that. And you get on there and you can't figure it out. You're trying to figure it out. You're trying to do it right. And then maybe you get one good one and the ride ends and you're like, ah, just when I thought I had it figured out. And then, so then the next time you ride, you're like, oh yeah, I know how this works. I've seen people do it. I'm going to try this again. And nope. You go right back to the scratch and you're you're swinging that thing around and you just can't get it going. And that just kind of feels where this offense is right now. You They get that one big swing and everything looks great. And then the bottom drops out, the ride stops, and they have to start over from scratch again. Uh, they the, the Eagles is kind of what that – I think it morphed into at one point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And my cousin – Dan, uh, this is like legend in our family. We all our cousins, we went to Kings Island together, and I was much younger than him. I'm about ten years younger than him, and I was pretty pretty little, and I was like kind of scared of all most of the rides, but I was willing to go on that because <laughs> what's so hard? But Dan just wanted to stick it to me, and he was the king of snapping the cables and getting the whole thing to feel like it's going <laughs> to fall apart and fall over, and like whatever eight year old me is like 
trying to figure out like is this the end like what what do i do when we when i die do i like what happens next and and i was i was just totally beside myself and dan just laughing his face off as he snapped the cable every single second that we went through uh he knew how to do that by the way he was he was one of those people that other people watched Uh, i was gonna say there's a legendary day in king's island history for people my age who lived around here and that is flight of fear opened and it was like the biggest thing that was supposed to happen. Like there was going to be this quick takeoff and it's, this whole, it's inside and a million people showed up that day and waited in line. And they had, like you waited for, I think I waited for like seven, eight hours. I missed the beginning of my baseball game. Like it was a whole disaster. But by the you got inside thinking it was about to start and there was nothing but like just curving around aisles everywhere to get to the front. So – and then it ta- when you finally get on, the anticipation for the season in this case, in this analogy, is so long. Like everyone is just, ah, I cannot wait for this ride. Oh my God. <laughs> well, I've been waiting eight hours to get my whole day. I'm missing my baseball game for this. This is going to be great. And then you sit there and you watch how fast everything takes off when people go before you. And then you get on it and you realize that fast start is like, whoa, okay. I didn't really actually like that as much as I would, thought I would. And then you're in it and you're like, ah, well, this is, this is not really even that exciting. I can't believe. <laughs> I waited so long for this and now I'm just like eh and then it ends and you're like okay I guess I it's that was fine like it's probably fine but as much as I waited for it and as high as my expectations were for it it's kind of a kind of a dud I think that's where the Bengals are at right now that's going deep I could have put that in my story but I needed to keep yeah. it under a certain word count I mean I was older than you when that when that well I'm older than you still but when I was I was <laughs> No, I was my normal height, my height now. And that the, the thing, the scary thing about that ride is you, it's dark in there, but you kind of see the track. And I was afraid to put my, I thought I would get my hands chopped off on that ride. Cause you just, you don't really know what the clearance is. Other rides, I, I insist on putting my hands up every ride, but not that one. That one I held on for dear life. Not cause I was scared of the speed. I just did not want to lose my hands. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. As much as people are here for a Kings Island podcast, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I want to point out, uh, yeah, let's bring in Burrow uh, talking about all of this. So here's Joe Burrow from Wednesday. It's not kind of your bread and butter, but do you think at some point you guys are going to need to rely more on the run and mix it? Yeah, that's, uh, that's something that we got to get better at. Um, no, the... In the NFL, you, you got to be able to run the ball, and I think, you know, we really had some momentum there for a couple weeks. Had some had some good rushes, um, good yards per rush. The last game wasn't good enough. Just like I said, past game blocking, everything wasn't good enough. That was part of it, uh, and so that's that's something that we need to improve on. I play that end part specifically because you don't hear Joe do that all that often mm-hmm. when it's not about himself. The yeah, run game isn't good enough, you know? Like, that's got to be better. And it doesn't take Joe Burrow to say that. It doesn't take pro football focus to say that. It doesn't take next-gen stats to prove that. You need eyeballs. Mm. That's really it. And actually, I think someone who's kind of, like, blind in one eye probably can see it at this point, too. Like, the lack of anything they are getting out of not just the run game but the extended run game this check down run game they've created to get joe mixon specifically into space one-on-one is not working and it's not explosive 
at all. That is a problem. Whichever one you're talking about, I blend them all together. Whatever you're talking about, the lack of getting anything out of that is really killing them. You know, you for the most, we have two games, the Falcons and the Saints game, where it was efficient and they didn't use it a ton, but it was efficient and it made a big difference. You saw that part of their breakout. But the rest of the year and in general, you know, it's it's really a big part of what's hindering this offense. And that Cleveland game was ripe to continue what they they built with Atlanta and New Orleans because they had they had they were shallow in the secondary, they were weak at linebacker with injuries, and it it didn't work. It wasn't like, yeah, you look at the final score and it, it looks like a blowout, but that game was close through the first half and even a little bit early in the second half. And they just they I guess they recognized it early that you know, sometimes these these runs you to get the efficiency going, to get the explosion, you have to stick with it. It, it doesn't always pop right off. And they, 10 rushes the entire game, the, the lowest in franchise history, they just abandoned it. I think they've got the coaching staff, Zach. They, he has eyeballs too. He knew it wasn't working, and it's not like the passing game was. But that that's concerning because you you as much as this has changed into a passing league and, and as much as Zach loves to throw the ball, you still have to have balance. And they they just this offense can't operate like that with with no efficiency. You can live with no explosion, but you cannot have the lack of efficiency and the lack of volume. Ten rushes a game, just you're not going to win many games that way. No, and and again, you know when you talk about that extended run game, I mean, how many times when you go through the tape on that, it they clearly wanted to do it. I mean, they were involving mm-hmm. Mixon on the edges early. It was clearly a part of their game plan. Throw these swings out there, and it, and it worked. It worked in that there they are. There's Joe Mixon one-on-one with one of these corners that all season hasn't tackled well, or one of these DBs that has, you know, been, they've been liabilities. So how do you take advantage of that? Well, if they're going to sit back in these shells and you don't have Jamar Chase, live, live that check down life and let Joe Mixon dominate on the edge. We talked about a couple weeks ago the uh, – the ooh in the dome, right? Yeah. And and how much that gives energy to everyone and how that was what they so much needed was more of that, those types of cuts and and him winning, like he said, 10 out of 10 times. Well, it's 0 out of 10 for the most part right now. He's not making people miss. And, and, and you just go out there and you catch a ball and you go down and you get four yards. Like, that that needs to occasionally make a guy miss and that thing's going for 10 to 15 or more. There's no explosiveness right now. Uh, two PFF stats. There are a, by the way, there are a million stats. If you go back to the episode leading into that Saints game, where we went, we went down the list of things that he was 35th out of 35th on out of those with a certain amount of carries. It was, it's pretty much every stat. The list of like stats that Mixon is dead last in in the league or really bad in are very long. So, but so we'll note that. But just to say, I mean, breakaway percentage. So the percentage of your yards that come on on explosive runs. So you you know you you want that if you want to, you want to be explosive. Kenneth Walker leads the league right now, and this is on. Uh, there's 27 players with. Uh, certain percentage with the highest volume out of 27 breakaway percentage 61.9 for Kenneth Walker Joe Mixon dead last at (laughs) 7.2 I mean you know that's just not gonna get it done same way elusive rating right we another one that we've talked about a bunch uh on here PFS elusive rating how much you make people miss in both in running and passing uh 
Joe Mixon dead last, 27th at 20.1. The high is Damian Pierce with 132.1. So, I mean, you're just, you know, that is brutal for a guy that you're paying a bunch of money to and that is supposed to be a big weapon. I mean, you talk about people that should be able to help make up for the loss of Jamar Chase. We really focused on Boyd and Higgins. Mixon being able to do stuff like that should have been a, a, a serious way that you tap into other corners of the playbook like they talked about, but they just couldn't. You know they couldn't do it because Mixon and P Ryan too when he was in there, both on runs and pass receptions just c- couldn't do much, and that's been really a continuation of this entire season for the most part. Yeah, and it was I, the Browns only missed three tackles the entire game. How much of that was them <laughs> stepping up and playing great defense, and and how much was yeah Joe Samaje all of them not being able to break tackles and and get and because those a lot of those were set up you. you you throw that swing pass out and he is one-on-one out in the flat. And if he makes one guy miss all of a sudden, that's probably a 10 to 15 yard gain. And instead he's being dropped for just a couple. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's, if it's his age, we have seen the flashes, like you mentioned the ooh play. And there've been, there've been ones where he's run over guys as opposed to just shaking them and make a miss, but it's it's not happening now. I, I don't know. You talk about rookie walls when that hit. What about a six year running back who's, who's getting up in age? Are we starting to see that where where he's slowing down at the midpoint of the season? Um, it, it all points to to possibly trying to get Chris Evans some more run in that regard, and it's that's just not happening. It's not, and that's the thing, you know. And you know, so when we do these things on YouTube and Streamyard. Uh, we know when Mo has like showed up and he's hanging out backstage waiting for us to bring him in. So I hope that he <laughs> hopes shows up backstage when we talk about how Chris Evans is not going to play because it's going to drive him nuts and he's going to come in really angry. Uh, <laughs> but but Chris Evans, you know, is he's it's just not happening. I mean, you you talk to you talk to people. Did he he did he just showed up? Drop drop Mo in here for this. <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah, I said it would be kind of sad if you had to sit here and just listen to us to do the Chris Evans piece. <laughs> oh, man. What are I we know. doing? Please I tell know. me you're parked. I am parked, yes. Okay, I, I don't parked. want you driving <laughs> off the road with talking about Chris Evans. Great. <laughs> yeah, what, what what caused Mo Egger's death? It was a Chris Evans conversation, <laughs> just like we knew it always would be. Uh, I mean, but here's the thing. So the questions have, have been asked. Every angle has been, in, and no matter who you talk to, no matter when you talk to him, look, it's just they just don't feel like Chris Evans is is a real weapon right now to do anything other than the current role that they have him in, which is, hey, go out there and see if a linebacker's on you and run vertical. They don't have much confidence in him to avoid negative rushes if they put him out there handing him the ball or to pa- have solid reps and pass pro, I guess. The point being, though, Mo, would be if anybody else was doing that stuff well, you wouldn't have a problem with him sitting on the rotting on the bench. It's the fact that all these guys are having all these problems. Why not try something else? What is it hurting? Yeah, it's not an apples to apples comparison, uh, but as a UC fan, one of the issues I have with them offensively is they have two really good tight ends. You know, everybody says Josh Wiley and Leonard Taylor are NFL caliber tight ends. Obviously, uh, time will tell if that's the case, uh, but they've got all these other weapons. And so Josh and Lenny, their production isn't going to be what it ordinarily might be, which was the case last year. And that's okay. But the Bearcats are struggling in short yardage situations. They're not running the ball effectively, specifically in those situations. They're not doing well close to the goal line. 
Well, that to me, those are moments that scream, use the tight ends. The pushback I get is, well, they have all these other weapons. And then I go, cool, let's look at their third down percentage. Let's look at how they're doing close to the goal line. You mean to tell me you can't involve these guys? Now, Chris Evans is obviously a different type of player. But if this offense was turning along, if this offense was um, remotely competent against Cleveland, um, I wouldn't be talking about Chris Evans. But you have two things that you cannot ignore. Number one, the offense was brutal on Monday night. Number two, Chris Evans made a play. Those two things to me add up to, let's see if we can tap into something here. Not for him being the, the featured back, not uh, un unwilling to acknowledge that he might have some deficiencies in pass protection, but your offense stunk. up until garbage time, he had, he accounted for their longest play from scrimmage. Yep. Now, was it sort of a fluky play down the right sideline? Sure. But you did invest a draft choice in him. Your offense is struggling. Why not try him? Why, 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 why not? And now again, if, if on Sunday suddenly explosiveness returns and they actually figure out how to operate without Jamar and there's a semblance of a consistent running game and Chris Evans isn't a part of it, then there's no reason to bring him up. But when you combine ineptitude with this very brief flash, he got one more offensive snap after that. On what planet does that make sense? And I, I just can't help but think that other coaching staffs would say, okay, without Jamar, with a sort of pronounced lack of depth at wide receiver, with us spinning our tires on offense, hey, you know that play we ran earlier in the game that saw Chris Evans go down the right sideline and gain 26 yards? Maybe there's something there that we can tap into as the game unfolds uh, in, in the second half. And the unwillingness to do that, to me, is is baffling. Yeah, I mean, I, I get the... Go, I was going to say, you get the the issue where maybe they're not thrilled with what he does in pass pro, but I mean, Joe Mixon's not getting it done in that regard. Right. And the the two the two snaps, that is the problem because you, you say, well, look how often they go empty. If you're going to put five guys out there, why not be him one? You, if, if, that line, if that matchup works so well when you get him on a linebacker, who's to say if he, I mean, it happened one out of two snaps. Who's to say if you give him 10 snaps, it doesn't happen four or five times. It's, it, it, it is baffling that, that a guy like that can only get two snaps in, in yeah. a game like that. The, the stuff that they have asked him to do, he's done okay, right? right. It, it's not like they've asked him to play a bunch of pass pro snaps where he's been blown up. When they've asked him to return kicks, he's been fine. Um, when he's had a handful of opportunities it, within the structure of the offense – He's been fine. I always thought the idea, especially for a young player, was do this. And if you do this, we'll expand your role a little bit and see if you can do a little bit more. And again, the circumstances in that game dictated it. If if they're moving the ball up and down the field and Chris Evans got one play and made adva took advantage of that one play, and that one play was a part of this overall uh, just evening of offensive, not even explosiveness, just competence. I wouldn't be talking about Chris Evans, but when you have how they played and you have what Chris did and you do see that he has done okay in the things they've asked him to do, how as a fan are you not supposed to wonder why he can't get at least a little bit more run? And, and again, this isn't he should be the featured back and not Joe. This isn't he should play 45 offensive snaps. It's your offense stunk. The one play where you didn't stink, Chris Evans made a play. Logic would dictate you should you should have him on the field at least a little bit more. No, 
I mean, I, I, I totally agree with that. It, it, again, it's not, it's, it's just expanded a little bit. Like, can, can it be in the eight to 10 range and get a bigger sample size? Give him, let him catch a swing pass. Last year, they would run these routes where they would, uh, like on third and long, they'd bring him in and they'd run him underneath. Uh, and the receivers would all go block ahead on kind of like an advanced screen. And he'd make a couple guys miss and made a couple plays for you at certain points. Isn't that what you're looking for out of your check down game right now? And he can't get a chance to catch one of those and see if he looks better than Joe Mixon running right into a guy and falling forward for five yards or four yards. Like, w- why, why can't that? be a part of just a, a sample just to go try it a little bit more just to see if he can do something other than this one thing i think that's the gripe and yet you're worried okay you know in the preseason he they gave him a big shot and he kept bouncing things and it caused either a hold or went or went for negative yardage and that's the last thing that they need offensively right now they need to focus on just the running game not being negative well I mean, at a certain point, you got to try to coach the guy up, right? I mean, and and try to keep him running straight and then use him. It's not like you're giving a bunch of handoffs. Like, you're just throwing to the backs almost as much as you're handing it off to them now anyway, and that seems to be his specialty. So maybe just a little chunk where you can see if he can figure both of those parts out a little bit on the fly might help. I'm with you. And I I take my cue from, from you guys who are deeply connected. I mean... In my two years of being the Chris Evans guy, nobody like either the two of you or anybody else has pulled me aside to go, dude, I mean, here's, here's the real story with him. He doesn't work hard. He falls asleep in meetings. He's a terrible practice. I mean, there, there's been none of that. So um, to just in the absence of that and with visual evidence of him being able to contribute in the face of, again, what was on Monday night, overall offensive incompetence. I'm going to bang the table uh, for Chris Evans until I see a reason not to, or I hear a reason not to either. Hey man, behind the scenes, you know, Burrow hates this guy. There's been none of that. Right. Mm. And then, so, okay. As long as the offense spins its tires, I'm going to be thinking about other solutions, which fan isn't. And and the other thing is like, we acknowledge that at, at wide receiver, there is a huge drop off from the big three, of which there's only two, and then everybody else. Enormous drop-off. If we acknowledge that, and you're without one of the big three, naturally, you're going to look elsewhere. Is there a tight end? Well, beyond Hayden Hurst? Not really. Okay, what else is there? Hey, there's this running back that since they drafted him, all I've heard is, well, you know what? He's he's probably a little bit more of a receiver. Cool. They've got a neat at wide receiver now. Let's try him <laughs> out. And the answer is no. Yeah. Those dots don't connect. All right, let's just take a quick break. The other thing is, you know, a stylistic scheme thing is how often do they come out and, and uh, you know, they, they use the, the empty five with Mixon all the way out on the far side. And they use it partially as a way to see what the defense is doing. Burrow decides whether to motion him back in or not. Well, typically that's about do they have a linebacker out there on him or a safety or something like that. Imagine if your favorite play is – Chris Evans on a linebacker, if you did that five or six times to see if the linebacker goes out, how many times is the linebacker going to go out with him and how much more of a threat is that to then right. pull a linebacker out of the box? You know, much more than, I mean, have they ever thrown to Joe Mixon on in out of empty on the outside? Like maybe once, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's like, but yet they do it to Evans all the time. Wouldn't that be more of a use of that? 
as well. It just seems like there's spots where you can find it, and and I I, I we we pulled you into a very emotional place, Mo. I, well, you know, I didn't I, was, I didn't want to go just, directly in towards your heart on this. Well, I, I was just struck by how listening to Zach yesterday, how close-minded he sort of sounded, and and I. I've never thought that about him. I, it just, and, and maybe he's saying one thing and then Sunday, Chris Evans will play 15 snaps and, and I'll be a happy young man. I, I just, he sounded so close minded to the idea that Chris is, could, could morph into a larger role in an offense that's without a major weapon that doesn't have a lot of depth at the position the major weapon plays and that is coming off a putrid performance. I, I don't know how the answer isn't, you know what? Um, we're going to explore that any and all options are out there. Boy, Chris made a great play. You know what? In hindsight, maybe we should have tried it a little bit more. Instead. It was, he's got a role. That was very, so it was, that was sobering. If you want Chris Evans to play more, that was just sobering. If you want your head coach to be willing to explore any and all options that are on the table, because this is an option that at least for a lot of us is on the table. I want to, I want to quickly touch on one other aspect of this. Um, and, and that I think that I don't hear a lot of people talk about, and that is so much of this is about knowing what who you have personality wise and how to get the most out of them. Because it was sort of brought up to me like, why doesn't he just call out Joe Mixon for not being good enough, or or you know, or take some? I I think they know the type of personality they have in Joe Mixon. He's a hugs and hand pounds guy. Okay, mm-hmm. he's a mm-hmm. like positive reinforcement. I don't think negative will ever work well with him. He doesn't live in that world. He's a he's a positive energy guy, and I think they know him. T- they 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 are not going to make it where they want to make it to if he can't find something this season. Like that, they mm-hmm. just have to have that element. They can't become one this one dimensional. The idea of stripping back his role even further at this point. You know, I, I think there's a, even if they're going to do it, the idea of going out there and openly saying it um, could be the opposite form of motivation that they need to get if they're still focused on trying to just get Mixon back on track and, and getting him into things. Now, that it, most people might hear that and say, I don't care. Screw it. Be a big boy. You're a pro. You make a bunch of money. Suck it up. But you also like, dude, these are humans and they all, they all are motivated differently and they're all made up differently. And Joe is made up of a different cloth, I think, emotionally than others. And I don't mean he's soft. I just mean they, I think they know what he responds well to and, and want to give him, if they're not done with hoping that he can figure it out, going in on the Chris Evans factor you know, can, could be a detriment. Sure. But you look, it's, it's a coach's responsibility to have a feel for, for his players. Uh, Not everybody gets handled the same way. Um, I respect that. And I understand it. The, The Chris Evans thing for me, isn't Chris in lieu of Joe. It's Chris. In addition to Joe, Joe Mixon should be a part of this offense. He is their featured back. I think it is completely reasonable to wonder if he's going to be on this team next year because his role has been reduced. No we all know what, what happens with running backs, that the drop-off is steep, it's sudden, and usually it doesn't go in the other direction. And so for a guy who's got a couple of years left on his deal, and I, I just, the I'm up for anything. I think if you're a Bengals fan, you're up for anything that makes this offense hum. But you have this sort of unknown factor 
that again, when he's been asked to contribute, has shown flashes of being able to. I always thought in sports, when you do that, you got more run with Chris Evans. That doesn't seem to be the case. Okay. For, for, for the sake, safety of everyone on the roads, uh, <laughs> where are you at? Should we warn, I, in case anyone's listening live on YouTube, warn people of where you're at. I'm going to, we need to move on. Uh, I just, I want to keep everyone on the road safe. Uh, let's, let's talk about betting that can, that can lighten the day real quick. Jay, quick yeah. update, uh, on where our, where our, our, uh, fake, totally fictional made up money bets stand for the season. How's the standings going? Uh, so Paul had another big week. He's at plus 160 units. Uh, Mo is at plus 95.4 units. And uh, I climbed to negative 4.4. Um, Mo and I both went Jacoby Brissett under one and a half TD passes last week and hit it. Paul won both of his last week. He had Burrow over on the passing yards and he had uh, Baltimore plus one and a half against Tampa Bay. That's right. Love it. Proved correct too. The only reason that line was what it was was because of who Tom Brady is, and yeah. not a focus on who the Bucks <laughs> actually currently are. Um, all right. So, what do you got, Mo, for this week? I think the Bengals are going to cover seven points uh, because this is just how it works, right? Right when we're you know vultures are circling, we're about to count them out. Carolina, I think you have to give that team a lot of credit because it looked like they were tanking. They really, maybe the front office is, and they've come back and played really well. They should have won that game against Atlanta. It's idiotic that we have celebration penalties in games uh, in which adults are the participants. Um, I, 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 I still, they're not going to lay back-to-back total clunkers offensively. And to me, it's it's the World Series rule. Philly hits five homers in game three on Tuesday. Last night, they get no hit. Right when you think this is the rule, then we get the exception. I'm going to go um, the Bengals to cover the number. And for, for everything that people are saying about Zach Taylor and the offense, about how, well, you know, it's a reflection of coaching. They can't make do with what they got without Jamar Chase. I feel the exact opposite about Luana Rumo. Without Shadobia Wuzie, this team cannot win a championship. I'm convinced of that. But do I have faith that even as messed up in the secondary as they are, that Lou comes up with something? Hell yeah, I do. P.J. Walker under his passing yardage total. Bengals cover. He doesn't go over that number. And we go into the bye happy. Are right, you going Jay, 10 on each? That? Mo, you going 10 on each? Okay. Going 10 on each. And by the way, that Bengals number this morning was seven. So if it climbs, I get it at seven. (laughs) I had it at seven. I'm on the honor system with you. I trust you. I had it seven and a half, but we'll go seven because I'm the complete opposite of Mo. Uh, I'm going DJ Moore over 66 and a half receiving yards. I just think that that the Panthers are going to find a way to exploit that secondary. And 66 and a half isn't that much. I mean, he had, what, 62 on one play in the Atlanta game. Uh, then I'm still playing. I'm going 15 for that. I'm still playing catch-up, so I'm going to do a $5 parlay. And I'm going Panthers plus seven. And I'm going Ravens minus two and a half um, against the Saints on Monday night. And then I'm I'm riding the Taylor Heineke train. I'm, I'm going Commanders plus three and a half. Um, I just I, I like watching that guy. I don't think he's going to lead them to a championship. But I love watching that guy play quarterback. He's just gritty, gutty, and finds a way to make plays. I love I love the idea of a team. We talked about the uh, 
you know, the the dead cat bounce that the mm. Panthers got after Matt Rule was fired. I think the uh, potentially dead owner bounce that the commanders <laughs> might get. The lift <laughs> off the thought that Dan Snyder might actually finally be selling this team uh, brings everybody to life in Washington. I think that's that's possible. Uh, I've got I, I'm feeling good. I'm riding high. I can just get a little risky with some of my uh, some of my fictional coin at this point. So I'm going to parlay. I'm going to do a 10 on the Patriots. Uh, and the Bears. So Patriots, I believe they're five and a half favorites. And I'm taking the Bears at home who have been better uh, with fields kind of finding some stuff. So combining those for 10, which is 10 to win 36 and a half. And then I'm going Burrow over 261 and a half. Bounce back Burrow opens it up against uh, okay uh, Panthers defense. I don't think will totally wreck them up front besides the what Derek Brown and, and Brian Burns are. And I think they find a little bit of that offense and, and Burrow does what he does. Uh, and so I'm going over to 261 and a half on that one. I mean, can, can you imagine if they lose this game mm. on Sunday at home mm. as touchdown favorites with a hook to fall to four and five mm. and there's not a game for two weeks? Can you... Mm. Can you, you imagine? imagine? You're the one with the hours to fill, Mo. <laughs> open up. We'll open up the lines, and they won't be shut for two weeks. <laughs> oh boy! Oh my! Every call I, will sound I, I, exactly the same, just just louder and drunker as it goes on. Yeah, well, the, the every segment from the host might sound the same too. So, uh, boy, can I just wow? Can Mo, I just? I, I mean, I, I can't imagine because I have lived it. But yeah, four and five back-to-back losses, and L to the Panthers at home with two weeks to look ahead to Pittsburgh. That'll be that'll be fun. Uh, well, this but was it's fun. not going to happen. Okay, this, you better hope not. This was this was fun too. Uh, appreciate it. Sorry we got you all angry on a Thursday morning while you're in your car. Please take it easy on the roads. All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Mo. See you. Yep. All right, ESPN fifteen thirties Mo Egger, who we dragged into the Chris Evans conversation. That was not the plan. <laughs> I didn't want to have to do that to him because I know I know the passion. I know I know the passion that he feels for for Chris Evans. Let's um dive a little bit into the secondary conversation. I want to hop into uh some Q&A uh cuz we have a couple of questions in that area and some stuff that we want to get to. So, uh let's start with Carson Boyles. I may have missed it, but did Lou touch on Dax getting his mouthpiece in and getting scorched due to the distraction? Um kind of uh, he, <laughs> he was basically asked about, oh, yeah, I guess, how'd he do? I mean, it seemed like it wasn't really much action and it was just kind of running the ball. And he just kind of said, yeah, until there wasn't. Uh, <laughs> sort of, it, you could just sense it is like when Lou talks about rookies, like, you could just sense his like, ugh. You know, just it's just not. He's just has high standards, and he's used to these vets. Um, so the the tone in his voice and kind of discussing the fact, like, yeah, you got to be ready. Like, um, was was definitely was was part of that conversation. Yeah, the the topic, and you'll hear this on the the Lou clip, but the topic of the uh, how uh, Cam Taylor Britt played after his after Lou dressed him down a little bit. He he just said he was fine. I mean, that's about as glowing as, as Lou gets with these rookies. And, um, I don't, I, I, I don't know how much of it is by design that you don't want to pump up a a young guy and how much of it is just brutal honesty about, yeah, they they are what they are and they need to get better. I think he doesn't want to rip a young guy. 
uh, you know, and he did say what has been said behind closed doors. I mean, yeah, again, a, a big part, you know, talking about confidence with these guys. Um, another question here from Keith Bradley. Uh, do you think the Bengals put a claim in on Sidney Jones? Um, that, so the Sidney Jones, uh, was waived by Seattle. That didn't come through until yesterday's transaction. So the waiver wire deadline on picking him up actually is four o'clock today. Um, I, I don't know what the Bengals thought of Sidney Jones coming out or or specifically what they have thought. He's been very injured and bounced around, but he's played okay. Um, and they have plucked from Seattle in the past and had success. Trey Flowers mid-year last year uh, was let go by the Seahawks and came over and found a role here. They're in such dire need. You can't tell me that Sidney Jones wouldn't be an upgrade over Alan George coming up off the practice squad or Dax Hill who has doesn't really play outside corner or hasn't really done it. Um, I would think that they're in on it, um, you know, because Jones is a guy that has played a bunch of football in this league and he's played at an okay level. Um, to me, it certainly makes sense. I would assume they're going to, we'll find out if they got him. I don't know how many teams will put in a, a request for him or a wave waiver wire claim, but um, I, I, I'd be surprised if they if they didn't. We'll find out more when we as we wait to see that come out. You know, they don't obviously want to let anybody know that what what claims they've they've tried to make because that, no, you know, they're they're trying to get somebody. I I can tell you this: it might just be their year on the waiver wire because they certainly did not at all expect to get all three of the guys that they got after preseason, and were surprised at people that didn't put claims on. So perhaps this will follow that mold. They, I, I'm going to guess that they hope so. Yeah, and they were 31st on the waiver wire when they got those three guys. They're 16th now. Much better shot of getting a guy. And the the maybe one of the knocks on Sidney Jones is he hasn't been around very long and he's already been on three teams. Well, you know that's not an issue for this Bengals team. It, it, it's kind of parallels Eli Apple, a guy that has bounced around and and has had some issues, but they're willing to take a chance on. So I do. I think they it would make sense for them to put in a claim and. Uh, one other tie in Sidney Jones was a guy he was one of the guys in that draft when they they traded back um, in the second round and ended up taking Joe Mixon Sidney Jones went a couple picks ahead of Joe Mixon he was one of those guys that not that they were interested in a in a cornerback at that time but if they had stayed at their their regular spot of 41 he was available then they trade back to 47 um, and and he was no longer available they took Mixon instead so all kind of seems seems like it's all kind of tying together here for for him to possibly show up in stripes possibly uh but again we'll we'll see how that all that all plays out i mean he's a guy who has like we said played okay if you go by pff grades i mean the last last year in seattle had a overall grade of 70.2 and a coverage grade of 69.2 i mean those are really really solid numbers and that's on 730 uh snaps for them so and that was just last year. This year, he's just hardly played. And a part of the reason why they let him go was Tariq Woolen and Bear, former Bearcat Kobe Bryant have really played well. And they wanted to get young, and they've gotten young. And uh, they're getting another one of their young players back. And they were able to save a little bit of cap money by letting him go, which is a big deal for where the Seahawks are at right now. And you know, because I, you know, if you read up on on what exactly has happened there, that's part of it. It's not that they think he can't play anymore it's just that they're trying to save a little cash and and they have really been blown away by Tariq Wollin and Kobe Bryant and and some of the people that are young players that they have competing behind them there in Seattle so 
that's that's kind of that aspect of it. Now let's dive into what else is going to happen here. Um, so I mean, Jay, you wrote about this, so I'll let you kind of kind of take the take the wheel here. But essentially, we know the starters. Like we know who the who the starters are going to be uh, on Sunday against Carolina. That should be. We assume we know it's going to be Cam Taylor Britt, mm-hmm. Eli Apple, and Mike Hilton. Everything else that's going on with contingency plans and leashes and things like that is where it gets really interesting. Yeah. It, I mean, does Eli Apple get benched for a rookie um, twice in a season? Because it it does. They have, they've barely repped Dax Hill at outside corner. He said he hasn't played it since, since high school. Um, I don't know if – if, we asked when he repped it, maybe he meant in a game that the Bengals said they did just in an emergency contingency, get him a, a few snaps in practice last week at, at outside corner. But Lou pointedly said he's got a long way to go in that regard. So if anything's going to happen, I don't think it's it's imminent there. But I mean, at some point, if if Eli Apple keeps playing the way he was when he was benched, you have to wonder, do, do, do they take Dax Hill and and see what he can do at outside corner. He didn't do a lot of it at, at Michigan. He said high school, he did have a couple outside snaps at Michigan. Um, and, and everyone, uh, Eli Apple talked about it. Zach Taylor talked about it is very, very hard to do is a hard position to play when you haven't played it. And when you haven't repped it. So I, unless something goes drastically wrong, Sunday against the Panthers. I don't think you're going to see Dax Hill in there, but it, it feels like that could be the plan down the road if he takes to it quickly. And he is a tremendous athlete. And you, I don't think you can rule that out that all of a sudden he starts taking reps at outside corner in practice and looks really good and gets a shot. But it's it's not going to be Sunday. Unless somebody gets hurt. You know, Unless somebody Eli gets hurt. Apple hurt pulls his hamstring again because Mike Hilton – and Jalen Davis are not moving outside. Lou, Lou made that clear. And so your backup, assuming Trey Flowers is out, is either Alan George, who un, undrafted practice squad guy, who they kept on the team to make sure they pulled him through to keep him. I obviously like him enough. Uh, so Alan George or potentially Dax Hill, one guy was undrafted, one was in the first round. Granted, different positions. You're talking about moving around. But when you're in scramble mode and you're judging those two guys against each other out there, I don't know, you know, who knows? Um, but so that that will be the other side of this to keep an eye on. Obviously, who knows? Maybe Cindy Jones gets picked up and gets the Quentin Spain treatment and ends up, <laughs> you know, shows up on Friday and is playing on Sunday. We've we've seen it happen before on the offensive line, which has, you know, just as much chemistry and s- stuff that you need to work through as defensive back does. So it's not unprecedented in that respect. Um but you know so those contingency plans are are really the challenging part. Let's let Lou um, talk through a little bit of the state of the secondary for you um, as, as we kind of yeah, as everybody tries to recalibrate after the Cheeto injury. When you lose a guy like Cheeto, you've yeah. spoken. We've all seen how valuable he is. Do you have to reconsider the scheme, or is it a matter of just plug guys into what you guys were doing because he changes the dynamics? So yeah, much. I mean it's again. <laughs> Talking about frontline guys, some of the better players at their position in the league. So, um, you know, when you got you got a specific game plan and you lose an, you know lose Trey during the game. So, um, you know, at some point you got to try to protect and help guys too, which leaves you vulnerable at other things. But um, you know, we'll uh, it just it just adds 
different challenges to, to each game. Hopefully we'll be a little more solid this week. We'll just, again, I don't know. We'll see how it goes with these with these guys and the injuries. With with Dax, it just had a necessity where you have to rep him now more at outside corner and Probably, you know, yeah, you know, we'll 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 have to get him uh, snaps there, you know, for sure. Um, you know, as well as safety and other things right. that he does. But yeah, we'll we'll we've been doing that some. Thank God, you know, we did it last week as a emergency, not enough, but uh, we'll have to do more of it. Yeah. All right. Uh, there's a little bit of of Luan Arumo uh, discussing the state of things, and it's um it is a challenging state you know I, I look at i understand where you're coming at like okay the hilton factor you're going to make everything worse this is kind of this is an age-old debate across different positions that have you know multiple pieces involved chemistry offensive line whatever do you make every position a little less to keep your best five on the field with like the idea of moving a hilton out to the outside or something like that or do you just Keep at least the people that you know do what they do best. A guy like Hilton, who is so good at blitzing from the slot, and you're going to need to be getting more pressure. We saw his blitz rate go up a lot uh, against Cleveland, certainly. Um, and that's going to have to be – they have to get more pressure to make up for what they're missing on the back end a little bit. If that means becoming a more blitz-heavy team, that could be a part of this. Utilizing Hilton out of the slot could be a part of this. You know, I've even wondered, like, okay – in the how do you get Dax Hill involved? Maybe you don't trust him to go outside. What about a veteran? And this is, again, what about a veteran like Jesse Bates? Like we've seen him talk about how he wants to be able to do more and he can go out and cover on the outside. Can there be some packages where you consider Bates outside and Hill taking his spot at safety? Again, none of this is ideal. All of this is like just trying to find creative ways to answer a problem. But, you know, you think about, okay, if you're not willing to put Dax out there, somebody maybe who has a a little bit has confidence on the football field and has done some of those types of things could be someone who could help. Again, this is all stuff that they hope they don't have to worry about, but you do have to have contingency plans in place when you start talking about what do you do, you know, if – and, and that's beyond injury. Like if Cam Taylor Britt is just getting annihilated out there, um, what do you do? I mean, yeah, why not? What well, we saw Sam Hubbard try to cover Amari Cooper on a play where he dropped into into coverage and yeah, they, the blitz didn't get there. I mean, it, it's not something you're going to live with. But Trey Hendrickson did it. He he dropped into a, a zone. Uh, Trey Henderson in outside covered. corner, Jay Morrison says. Yeah, yes. <laughs> he knows what to do when the pass is incomplete because he was doing this when yeah. the, 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 the the pressure did yeah. get there and Jacoby had to throw it Jacoby had to throw it away. Um but yeah, I mean they're they're willing to to do things like that on again, not game plan, but on specific plays, specific looks. So yeah, why not see what what Jesse could do? I think that's a, again that's a if things go really bad, we need to figure something out. But as we said earlier, it's they're they're going to roll with Cam Taylor, Britt, and Eli Apple as the outside corners this week and and see what they can do. It's again, it, yes, Carolina had an explosive passing game last week, but this is not a juggernaut offense, and there's not another juggernaut offense coming. Uh, for a few weeks with Pittsburgh and Tennessee next on the schedule. So uh, I, I think their their plan right now is to get those guys settled and, and hopefully build some build some of that 400-level communication that Lou talks about all the time. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, so <laughs> I, I'll say um, P.J. Walker, all due respect, 
was in the XFL two years ago. Okay. Right. So there's that. Uh, which, if you want more on that and everything happening in Carolina as they come to town, there's no better person to bring in than our good buddy, uh, Joe person uh for those of you watching on youtube we're going to keep it rolling uh but let's bring in let's bring in joe uh for the podcast all right we're going to head down to charlotte now the the other queen city well maybe i shouldn't say the other queen city because i'm not sure if cincinnati or charlotte queen the moniker queen city first let's just say this is a battle of of queen city teams uh, we're going to bring in joe burst person who covers the panthers for us joe how you doing today I am good, man. I'm kind of rocking a little sleep deprivation as I follow my uh, my Philadelphia Phillies through this postseason. Felt like you could have went to bed after the first inning last night. It seemed like that <laughs> they 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 just took the throat the game by the throat right then and and had it won. Yeah, they. Uh, so it it helped that uh, apparently Lance McCullers was tipping his pitches and. Uh, <laughs> So they they kind of got a they kind of got a gimme for game three, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's been fun. I was telling you yesterday, I grew up in Pennsylvania and yeah. a long suffering, usually suffering Phillies fan. Phillies figured out what pitches were coming by legal means this time. So important <laughs> exactly. important clarification. Um, get, getting on to this game, um, I, I I wonder. Yes. They they traded Christian McCaffrey earlier, but no tr no trades on deadline day. What what do you think that says about the Panthers and and where they think they stand? Yeah, they're two and six, but but only two games out in the NFC South. Did did the McCaffrey trade need say everything we need to know about where they think they are? Yeah, I don't necessarily think they they believe they're contenders. I mean. Mm. Obviously, had they won Sunday, it would have been that weird deal where they were three and five and everyone in the first NFC first South would have been tough. Um, it's kind of actually their their situation is a little bit like it was like it ended up being in 2014 when they came to Cincinnati and they tied the Bengals and proceeded to then go the next two months without a victory and still snuck into the playoffs because they got hot late and they were seven, eight, and one. So I do think a losing record could potentially win the NFC South. I just, even by that low standard, I think that the Panthers are viewing this as an opportunity to reset. I mean, they're competitive, and that's because of their defense, mostly. And I think that's why they held on to Brian Burns. They feel Scott Fitter, the GM, who looks like is going to survive this this purge, this reset, I think he feels like with this defense, they've retooled the offensive line, which is really playing well, that they need the quarterback. Uh, but they feel like they're at a place where if, if they can get one in, in next year's draft, maybe plop him in, and, and they feel like the rest of the roster is in pretty good shape. So they say if if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any. What about if what happens when you have three? I know that they're looking at a quarterback of the future in the draft, but the rest of this year, I mean, uh, you you even labeled him as interim quarterback PJ Walker in, in your trade deadline story. Is 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 I mean, is he the guy Sunday? Is he going to stay in there? Or is I mean, any chance we see Baker Mayfield with with how well he's played against the Bengals in the past? 
Yeah, Steve Wilkes seems pretty committed to, to P.J. Walker. Okay. And he really, he gave him reason to the last couple of weeks. He did have a bad pick six against the Falcons. Uh, kind of made people forget about it with that pretty miraculous heave down to D.J. Moore at the end of regulation. Should have been he a hero. You know, should have been toasted. And he's still got a lot of national love. On, on the networks and so forth uh, for what was really an incredible play. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, you, you root for a guy like PJ Walker. I mean, this is a guy undrafted out of temple uh, popped around the, the Colts practice squad and in some preseason games for them for two or three years out of football in uh, 2019, I guess it was XFL get to the NFL and and even then prop I'm not sure he would have been back in the NFL but Matt Rule uh coached him at Temple so you know here he is and and yeah yeah it listen the Baker Mayfield situation is going to be interesting to watch because he has to kind of be doesn't have to be I think he's being told to be on his best behavior because he's auditioning now for 31 other teams how he handles this situation because whoever signs him for next year might be probably viewing him as a backup you know also and so if he is in any way you know cancerous or, or just a distraction and you know, that's going to say a lot uh to, to potential suitor, suitors for him so so far he's been on his best behavior i mean We'll see what happens. Like, they still have Sam Darnold waiting in the wings. I don't know that it's inconceivable right. that they give Sam Darnold a look before they give Baker another look because I think in Steve Wilkes' eyes, Baker had five games at the beginning of the season and didn't do a whole lot with that opportunity. Do they have to make a move? We're recording this Wednesday. Uh, do they have to make a move today on Dar? Is this 21 window open or no. ready to close? No. Yeah, good question. It's still open until next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. Okay. So, uh, you know, the quarterback with how P.J. Walker's playing uh, has been a big story. I, interesting to me is what this running game has done even after McCaffrey leaves and Deontay Foreman back-to-back 100-yard -back games. Has, has the offense changed? Um, or is this just a, a guy taking advantage of an opportunity? Well, they, they're definitely emphasizing kind of more of a downhill running game with, with Foreman, a big physical back. Mm -hmm. He did some nice things last year in Tennessee after Derrick Henry went down. And, yeah, he's really taken advantage of it. And, and his, um, his insertion into the lineup – coincided with a, a change at center. Pat Elfline got hurt, and uh, former Raven Bradley Bozeman, who, whom they signed in the offseason, uh, he gets put in the starting lineup. He is a bigger, more physical downhill blocker than Elfline at that center position. And so I think those two things combined, um, you know, obviously Christian McCaffrey is, is just a, an incredible talent. But Foreman does some different things, and he moves the pile, you know, you know and he, he seems like one of these bigger guys, he seems to, to get better as the game goes on and the defense gets tired of trying to tackle him. And, 
He's been good. He's been really good for the Panthers. Yeah, Bengal fans may remember Deontay Foreman. He's the one that ripped off, a, I think it was a 40-some yard run that could have been a game changer in that divisional playoff game. Very next play, Mike Hilton intercepts Ryan Tannehill. A big swing in that game. Um, you, you mentioned Wilkes earlier. I'm I'm just curious. I've told people all the time, you, you could make a living, not a living, but you could make money sports betting if you just only bet on games when a team plays the first game after firing a coach and that, that didn't play out. They did not cover against the Rams, but then they come back and they beat Tampa Bay badly and had that woulda, coulda, shoulda win in Atlanta. Did, is, is there a chance he holds on to this job and he he's the head coach next year? Or is this strictly an interim? Just get him to 2023. He is a different kind of interim. I mean, he's been here before. he's from Charlotte very well respected in the community and he's been a head coach before and that yeah that means something and you know frankly he, you know like i said about pj walker it's cool to see steve wilkes get a real opportunity because this is a guy he had the one-year stint in arizona uh he's part of the brian flores lawsuit cl- claiming that his situation in arizona was a case of racially discriminatory hiring practices. And I think he makes a pretty good case. And, you know, I, I think the locker room really is rallying around him and is, I mean, Shaq Thompson told me last week, he said, Wilkes got screwed over in Arizona. We want to, we want to do anything we can to help him get this full-time job. Last week would have helped. It's going to be hard uh, for David Tepper to, to keep him if, if they kind of keep, stumbling toward a three draft pick. But, you know, we'll see. Like I said, it is a fun, funny, by funny, I mean bad NFC South this year. And crazier things have happened. But, yeah, I think I think he's got a tough task at interim tech removed. You, you mentioned earlier about how the D is really kind of driving this Panthers team. You, you look at the numbers and they're kind of middle to lower the pack in a lot of the, the major categories. Is this a case of of, you know, stats lie or, I mean, what, what is driving this defense? Yeah. The guy who's really, and you're right. It, it, it you look at them statistically and, eh. and last year, the funny thing is they were, they finished number two in total defense at the year. They weren't playing well at all. So that was sort of a statistical anomaly as well, but yeah, they, they're, they're not, you know, I'm not suggesting like they're the 85 Bears or anything, but but they do most weeks keep this team close and give them a chance. Offense hadn't done a whole lot. Um, be, besides Burns, the guy who's really taken a big step this year is Eric Brown. I, I remember watching him in Auburn, and he would just tear up some pretty good SEC offensive linemen. Just seemed like he was always in the backfield. Place and he hadn't really done that. You know, the Panthers take him the first round in 2020. He was okay his first two years, so he has taken a big step this year. Not a ton of sacks like in the mold of Aaron Donald necessarily, but he had 12 tackles last week at Atlanta, which is that's a big number for a defensive tackle with all the the, the double to face and that sort of thing. So he's been really good. Frankie Louvu is a guy. Uh, you probably know him because he was in the AFC with the Jets. But a lot of fans, you know, they don't know who Frankie Louvu is. And he uh, is a real 
he's a nice playmaker. He he plays in space. He's a little undersized, so he had a he wears down quickly. They they ended up he missed a couple games uh, in October with with some shoulder stuff. But when he's healthy, I mean, he just it looks like he gets shot out of a cannon and into a opponent's field. I want to get to Sunday here. Do you, do you have a prediction, a score? How do you think this is going to play out? I do think this, this for the reasons we talked about with the pass rush, uh, I think the Panthers can can make Burrow uncomfortable at different times. I'm going to have a hard time picking them. So I'll say, uh, I'll say 27-21 Bengals. Much lower scoring than the last time they came to Cincinnati. I think that still stands as the highest tie in NFL history at 37-37. So uh, we'll, we'll see. Well, I, I'm really looking forward to catching up with you in the press box. Thank you for coming on the, the show today. And uh, have safe travels to uh, one of the two queen cities in America. All right, buddy. Good to see you, Jay. All right. Always great to hear from Joe Person, uh, our friend in Carolina. You know, Jay, take away from that. Well, you said it. PJ Walker was in the XFL a couple years ago, and there's Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield on that roster, and it it doesn't look like there's any move to to see what those guys can do instead of PJ Walker. It it, it feels like PJ Walker has supplanted Baker Mayfield. Joe talking about he. Baker needs to be on display about what he can be as a backup quarterback. That may be his role the rest of his career. He can't rock the ship, and he hasn't. Uh, and Sam Darnold is still in the middle of that 21-day window, so th- they haven't activated him. He's not really in play this week. But it's interesting because Baker Mayfield does have this great success against the Bengals, um, and they're sticking with P.J. Walker. They've, they've seen enough from him to, to, to roll him out there again in this game. And I, I think that's telling on – on how well he's played and what they think of Baker Mayfield. His throw at the end. Unreal. It was one of the craziest things I've, I've ever, I, I saw it live and I, I gasped, like it was like a deep gasp. Like one of those where you like choke yourself or it was, <laughs> Oh my oh, I can't even believe what I just saw. And then, and you watch it again and again, it's just, just in an absolutely insane play and a highlight of that young man's life uh, without question. Um, Joe, you know, Burrow talking about it yesterday. Um, this can w- kind of transition us into Arby's here uh, for a second. I got a Bengals ready story talking to Burrow yesterday, uh, you know, about that throw and just what he thought. He's, oh my God, that, that might be the greatest throw I've ever seen. He, you know, and, and I pointed out, like, what's so farthest you've ever thrown a ball? Like, have you ever thrown anything like that? Because that ball was 68 yards about in the air, longest since Next Gen's been tracking it. Um, and and he's like, you know, I I think the he said I think the Hail Mary may be against the Browns. And I was curious, like, is that something you look forward to to show off and just get one chance to truly uncork? And he's like, Look, if I'm throwing Hail Marys, I'm not happy about it. I can just tell you that right now. And that's the last thing you want to be doing out there. But it, you know, it's cool to hear everybody, you know, former quarterbacks, whether we're talking about Zach Taylor, uh, Burrow, other people you've heard talk about that throw, just in awe of uh how cool it was and and Zach Taylor talking about you could just tell like he knew that thing snapped off just right when he launched it and the receiver couldn't even believe it as he kind of was had slowed down and was like oh my god I have to go after this thing and more you know obviously accelerated and caught it but 
cool to hear uh, uh, the quarterbacks on the Bengals talk about watching that throw and just uh, how ridiculous it is to see somebody do something like that. Obviously, the man has a cannon. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, for for the Arby's, I I wonder. This might I'm going to have to rely on you, but so we're all. You talked about it earlier. There's not many people in there, so there's this crush around Hayden Hurst, and I'm standing right behind you listening. And I see Eli Apple start to talk, so I tap you on the shoulder as like, "Hey, ask him this about Dax," and I'm gonna I'm gonna go over to Eli. What did that look like? Because it felt like I was the Pied Piper. I went over there and then all of a sudden here comes boom, boom, boom. It was just reporter after reporter after me. Did everybody just ditch Hayden Hurst or did the Hayden Hurst thing end? The Hayden Hurst thing ended. I stuck Uh around and talked to him for about another four or five minutes um, by myself or with Andrew uh, from cleveland.com and but yeah that was kind of that was very close to the end of his time and there was a bunch of tvs over there and when the tvs start swarming everyone Mm -hmm. starts swarming i'm gonna guess ted karras i think was talking at the exact same time uh because i i was at karras for a second and i went over to talk to hearst because everyone was kind of coming at the same time i think karras ended and hearst ended and everybody looked and saw people around eli apple and there you go uh i think that's how that went down and then I, I don't um, want. Are you are you gonna you gonna no, do go the ahead. Lou? Are you gonna do the Lou one with Dax? No. Well, that was that was in the uh, in the clip, so I won't. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I but, have I have I, my I, my Arby's was going to be a uh, a conversation that occurred in the media room yesterday, and I just want to put this out there to get the reaction of all our listeners because I I appreciate it. I, I was sort of asked after Halloween. Oh, Paul, what, what did you, did you dress up to with your girls? Cause my girls were uh Supergirl and wonder woman. They're three and they're five. And I said, well, you know, I was going to, and it was actually a very much an internal debate for me over whether what to do, but I, I didn't, you know, there's, it's very hard to do a subtle superhero. If I'm going to be part of the superhero clan here and be part of it, it's very hard to do that because I don't. I said. I said. I. I didn't. I don't want to upstage my girls with my costume. It's their day. And immediately from the other side of the room, Dan Horde chimes in with like, "Absolutely, thank you." He's, this is one of the worst trends that has started to happen. Is there are adults that sh- on Halloween that are outdressing <laughs> their kids. It's like you're going to an adults party, adult costume party. Go all the way. Go big. Do it all. But it sparked a debate, the trend of there are a lot of parents who are really going all the way in with what they, how they dress uh, on Halloween with their kids when you go out trick-or-treating with them. For me, I, I, you know, it's about, and we discussed this and Dan said the same, it's about best supporting actor or even yeah. just, a cam- just a character actor cameo basically in their show. They're the stars. So if you can't do subtle, like so the previous year. My kids were a pig and a oh I can't remember I can't I can't remember now they were two animals, uh, and I was just a farmer I just had a weird hat and I had a, like a farmer flannel type in jeans like subtle but I'm part of it I'm just I'm just I'm trying to be a good extra right like that's that's <laughs> it but so I'm curious how people feel about the the parents that go all the way in I don't have you know I'm not as adamant where I have like a huge problem with it because I get it especially if the whole family's doing like a group thing together and the kids make it feel like you're all part of it but it it feels like a much more divisive issue than I ever realized it would it certainly it ch- it churned me up on the inside I didn't know which way to go 
I, I'd never dressed up once when my kids went out for trick or treat, and they they rarely were themed. Like one might be Batman and white, one might be Jeff Gordon. It was never a a family type of thing, and I just don't like dressing up anyhow. So I yeah, I never I never I don't even like dressing up for costume parties. I'll just show up with with something as simple as possible. But I agree with you and Dan wholeheartedly, and I'm, I I wasn't there for that conversation, but it. It doesn't surprise Dan has very strong opinions on certain things Absolutely. and uh, doesn't surprise me at all. He came in hard on that one. Not as not as strong of opinion as he has on Subway sandwiches. Yeah. However, I don't think anything <laughs> will, will draw the ire of Dan Horde more than suggesting anyone in the world eat Subway. At any yeah, point. he's wrong about that one, by the way. <laughs> Arby's and Subway, Jay's on the hill. Jay's standing up on the hill right now. Uh, all right, let's get into uh, our segments for this game. Bengals growler bet this week. Um, again, if you have what you want to, uh, the answer that you want to give, hashtag Bengals growler bet on Twitter or send me an email, pdaner at theathletic.com. And delicious, delicious 50 West beer can be yours is out there recently christmas cookie has showed up now for those of you that are that besmirch thanksgiving and just pass it right over and don't even care about the month of november and all the holidays that it celebrates uh zach taylor by the way pointed out yesterday that he showed up and christmas lights were already up on his house he had no idea this was going to happen the just the disrespect to thanksgiving that was given (laughs) <laughs> I, I, it's really, it's uh, that, that's one that I, I have a hard time with. That's one I have a hard time with. Um, but anyway, you can have some delicious 50 West beer next time we have one of our, uh, live shows down there. Bengals growler bet for this week, Jay, what do you got? Well, uh, do we want to do the growler bet first or the run past your boots? Let's do a growler bet here. Let's do the growler okay. bet to start it off. Okay. So we're going to go with percentage of plays that are runs last week it was 10 run plays out of 50 snaps so 20 percent of their their plays were runs now you've got to get it to the decimal point um if you for a guideline here we'll go week five on week five it was 35.6 week six it was 25.9 week seven 31.8 and last week, a season low, 20.0. So what percentage of the Bengals' offensive plays this year will be rushes? And that does count scrambles, by the way. It's just it's easier to do the math that way. If, if Burrow rushes out of pocket and gets three yards, that counts as a rush, even though it was a designed pass. Um, there's not many of those. Um, so, so what are you going to start with? Uh you know, I I don't I think their game plan will be for Burrow to exploit things. I don't think you know you're certainly if you're only rushing that much against Cleveland, who has you know no run defense and particularly soft at the middle. I don't think you're going to all of a sudden start wanting to do that more against Derek Brown, who has been their best player at defensive tackle and is just a really a beast in there. As you heard Joe Person talk about. Um, I think it's still going to be about Burrow. It's going to be still going to be about the RPO game and 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 taking advantage of him there. I think they're still going to throw it a bunch. Um, I'll say 24.7. I'll go 24.7. I do think you'll see some scrambling by Joe Burrow. So um, uh, that's that'll be my number. I'm going to go with an even third. I'm going to go 33.3. Yeah, I think they could they could get a lead and, and kind of run the clock late and add to that total. Um, 
So I, I, I think that kind of fits right in the middle of where they've been these last four weeks. Okay, as we start getting into analyzing this game, there's a couple run passer boots that I think will help us um, kind of analyze what we think is going to happen. Uh, first one here, run passer boot, Jay. What ends up being the most on Sunday? Brian Burns pressures. Brian Burns, who's been a beast this year. Uh, Joe Mixon yards per carry, who has not been a beast this year. Carolina explosive passes as PJ Walker, who is trying to throw a ball downfield, um, tries to go after these two Bengals corners. For some reference, Brian Burns has 34 pressures this year. Um, he's had one in every game. Uh, he has a high of eight and a low of one. Uh, but you know, his obviously his average is in that four or five range. Uh, he's very strong off the edge and we saw what miles garrett did last week and we know you know burns kind of moves back and forth so just like garrett does so we don't know if he'll try to take advantage of how jonah williams has been struggling or try to go after Lowell collins either way he's going to be one to watch in the miles garrett mode we know joe mixon's yards per carry you know about what that is you're sad about it and carolina has a, has a fair share of explosive passes and, and we'll see what they do against this Bengal secondary so i think these are all kind of in the same area jay what do you got I'm going to run with the Carolina explosive passes. I just think with with where this sec, the Bengals secondary is that it's it's there. DJ Moore is a really good receiver. They found something with PJ Walker. I I don't think you're going to see a 62 yard touchdown bomb, but you're going to see a, a few passes that go for 20 or more. Um, I'll pass on the mix in yards per carry, and I'm going to boot Brian Burns because I do think he's really good. But which isn't saying a lot there. It's not a revelation. But as Joe Person pointed out, they don't have that other bookend. And I think the Bengals, with with how fast Burrow gets rid of the ball and and how much they're relying on this extension of the run game and the short passes, they're going to be able to negate Burns. Um, I don't think they're going to fall behind where Burns is going to be able to tee off. So I'm, I'm going to boot him. I, I think he might be in the the two or three range on pressures. Um, you know, Carolina had a 62 a 39 a 33 <laughs> a 29 a 27 and a 21 um and a 20 oh a 20 yard scramble so it doesn't count so 21 uh you know you're talking about six last week now Bengals fans are familiar with the falcons defense <laughs> so <laughs> you know how susceptible they are and certainly have proven to be. So I don't I don't think it's going to be that high. I you know I, it, the pendulum I feel like it does swing where all of a sudden everyone's down on something one week and then it comes back a little bit, a lot of focus on it. I I don't I think Joe Mixon's efficiency is going to improve a little bit. I don't think it's going to be great, but I do think it's going to improve a little bit. So that said, I, I'm going to go I'm going to go outside of my what my my total gut was. I'm going Costanza. I'm going opposite. <laughs> uh, I'm going to run with Joe Mixon yards per carry just coming out of nowhere. Just, it just feels like that's just the way things go sometimes. I am going to pass on Carolina explosive passes, and I'm going to – I'm going to boot Brian Burns' pressures. I, I'm with you. I think they'll focus on trying to stop him, and I don't think he'll get after them. I'd be, I'm actually more be more concerned with, with Derek Brown and what he can do up the middle. But even though the tackles have struggled, 
Bengals tackles have certainly struggled and been a big part of the problem. Uh, I, I think they'll find a way to to keep Burns slightly under wraps, at least less than those other two. I, I want to circle back real quick because I, I don't want to slight anybody. There there were none on Twitter. Did you get any growler bet winners in email last week? Um, I did not. Okay. All right. You won. It was Chubb rushing yards, and I went 111. You went 105. It was 101. So we were both right there. Yeah. Uh, but you came out ahead there. I just, I did, if any, if there was anybody that won, I didn't want to not mention them. Um, the second run passer boot we have, can I call an audible here? Sure. Audible. Um, cause it's, it's one of those what happens first. And we kind of kicked around what the third leg would of this one would be. Um, the first two legs are, will there be a missed kick? Um, both Carolina's kicker, Eddie Pinero and, and Evan McPherson missed an extra point and field goal last week. Uh, the other one is a Bengals sack because we all know that's going to happen at some point. It's just what, does it happen first or not? The third one, we were going to go with Bengals turnover, but I think in honor of Mo Egger, we should say a Chris Evans target. Oh, boy. So w- which happens first? A missed kick, Joe Burrow gets sacked, or a Chris Evans target? Wow, throwing that in there for Mo. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to say I think a Bengals sack will happen first. Uh because I don't know if there even will be a missed kick. I think at some point they'll get a sack. I don't know that there will be a missed kick, even though whatever's happening with Evan, I'm looking forward to talking with Darren Simmons at some point today. Um, and then I, I just don't think you can count on Chris Evans' snaps of everything we've heard. So I'm going to boot that. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boot that and say uh, something I'm going to go sack, kick, target. Yeah, maybe we should go Chris Evans' snap instead of target. Yeah. Uh, no, I, but, I think he'll. I think he might get in there a few times, but the task for the targets is, is even an extra. Yeah, uh, and it did. It happened early last week. Um, Typically I, does. I think, I think it actually happened before the first sack. Um, but I'm with you. I, I, I think Bengal sack. You know what's going to happen. Um, the, the number is up to. I want to say 22 or 23 games in a row that Burroughs had been sacked at least once. Um, so I'll go Bengal sack. Uh, I'll I'll go the other way though. I'll go. Uh, I'll pass on a Chris Evans target, and I'll I'll boot the missed kick. Okay. Uh, all right. Sunday at one o'clock. Bengals, Panthers. Um, Jay, uh, our good friend Lindsey Patterson asked me if I need to be pulling out the must-win armband this week. <laughs> you know my feelings on must-wins. I'm not sure I'm going must win armband, the full must win armband, but Mo was not wrong. The disaster it will feel like if you come out of this stretch of nine games against a slew of backup quarterbacks with these injuries and you're sitting at four and five with what is in front of you, it feels this is not last year this is not i'll get the five and make the run this is it does feel disastrous if that were to happen i i'll let you go first i'm not pulling out the must win armband in the first 10 games because there still would be time to make up for it but this would feel this would feel totally debilitating yeah and i kind of hinted at it with my bet 
um, in the Mo's segment, I, I think it's going to be close. I, I don't think that the, the Bengals are going to pounce on, on a Panthers team that's two and six. And um, maybe they they have a, a late big lead and the Panthers kind of close it. I, I've got the Panthers cover and I, I'm going Bengals 23, Panthers 20. Uh, a lot of angst in the stadium on Sunday. A, there's going to be a lot of tension and sweat and booze <laughs> at, during the course of that game if it goes that direction. Which it very well. I, I'm not. I'm not solely against you. You know, I, I'm not far off. Um, I have the Bengals winning too. I, I'm not going to bet against Joe Burrow, and I'm not going to bet against Joe Burrow coming off a bad loss. Um, I had in today's story. Joe Burrow's history coming off games where he either they lost and he had a passer rating below 90 or they lost by double digits. He's five and two and the majority have been blowout wins. One of the two losses was maybe the best game he's ever played against San Francisco last year, a game that they should have won if not for the overtime screw up and Darius Phillips fumbling. Um, I mean, they played great in that game despite the way it ended up going. Um, He's had passer rating up above 115 the majority of those games. He's an incredible bounce-back player. His we, You heard earlier the even-keeled nature, how he feels about that, and his ability to keep a team focused, and his understanding of that is elite level. They've never needed that more than this week, and I think they'll have that. Um, and I think there will be a feeling of desperation and anger and – the need to go out there and prove it against a team that doesn't have should not have the horses to keep up with them. I mean, there's just no reason that PJ Walker and no Christian McCaffrey and traded pieces, I don't care how they've played better under Steve Wilkes, should should be able to keep up with the weapons that still remain on this Bengals team. Even though no Cheeto, no DJ Reader, no Jamar Chase. Those are massive missing pieces. But look, what is this league? Quarterback versus quarterback in so many ways. You have Joe Burrow. They have P.J. Walker. That should be enough. That should be enough for you to be able to go out there and win at home in a spot where losing would be a disaster. So for that, I have the Bengals winning 26-20. to 20. I do think it's relatively close-ish, but I, I think they find a way um, to put up enough points and win this game. If they don't, God help Yikes. security. God help security at, at Paycor Stadium. <laughs> trying to keep everything in order because there's going to be fights <laughs> and a lot of anger. Um, and understandably so. Expectations yeah. are rightfully high. People thought at this point you'd be saying Chiefs, Bills, Bengals. And that was realistic. And right now you're like, boy, I hope they don't fall to four and five or losing to the Panthers. It's like, how did you get here? It's got to be better. I'm not saying it can't be, and certainly it's going to be heavily reliant on DJ Reader and Jamar Chase coming back and really helping change the dynamic. But now is the time where they have to. You just can't. You can't lose games like this, no matter what you're missing. You can't. You got your quarterback. You got enough weapons. Uh, they got to have it. There's no excuses. If they lose, if they lose. There's there's a lot of other discussions that are going to have to start happening. All right, Jay. It's been a pleasure. I appreciated yes. it, and uh, we shoved a lot into this one 
one midweek podcast. It's usually two. Hope everybody has enjoyed that and stuck around to the end. Uh, we'll be back, of course, with the walkout Sunday evening. So keep your eyes and ears open for that. And then we'll get into bye week stuff. We've got some stuff planned for you there. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody. Thank you.